Welcome to New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. I'm Stephen Spitz. Today's show is part two of my discussion with internationally renowned architect Bart Prince. Anointed as the head of the American School of Architecture, we will talk about where Bart Prince's ideas come from, starting with his personal office residence that Albuquerqueans like to call the spaceship. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, let's, let's talk about a building that I think most Albuquerqueans are familiar with, most New Mexicans, and that is your personal office residence that you built, I think, in 1983 on, on Monte Vista Avenue, right near the UNN, UNM campus. And, and for most of your work, you can say, you know, the, there were client requirements or there were client desires that really sort of had a major role in, in, in the shape and form of the building. But since you were doing this for yourself, you, you can't really say this in the case of your uh, office residence, right? Well, it's the same. Th- for me, it's the same process. I mean, it's just the same as if a, a client comes to me with a site and uh, sp- specific requirements. I always start, I like to start completely fresh each time. So I like to begin completely from scratch with each new client and find out all I can about the site and the situation and the individuals, all the people involved. Well, I did the same thing working on this project for myself. I needed to, to be responsive to the site conditions, which had to do with the shape of the site and the orientation, the uh, zoning situation, height requirements, setbacks, things like that. And then even in terms of my own needs, I am essentially trying to create a response to what I know I need, I mean, in terms of a building. So this is quite different than coming into something with a preconception where I say, you know, had an idea that was in my mind for 10 years, one of these days I want to build this, (laughs) and I'm going to force it onto whatever site I, I find. You know, that's how many buildings come about. Whereas in, in the case with the house I was doing for myself, I didn't know what it was going to be until I started working on it. So I think the question all of New Mexico wants me to ask you is, why that oblong shape then? How does the <laughs> oblong shape or the spaceship-like object, how does that figure into what you've just been talking about? Well, of course, it becomes an object once it's finished, but most people see something like that, and they think... Um, they think of what something would be had they arrived at it, and usually it's it's the opposite uh, approach. Usually it's because they're thinking of a shape, and then they would try and figure out how to make it into a building, whereas for me it was the other way. I was thinking of uses and needs and requirements that I had, and and in conjunction with the site and particularly the orientation because I I have uh, I was interested in the passive solar aspects the building begins to then grow from that uh, all these series of requirements and things that are sort of uh, having an effect on it into it into its final form and of course it doesn't happen by itself as as, as the architect I'm in control of that there there are always different directions that you can take it but it it is not something that is pushed onto the situation from the outside, but something that grows from the inside out. So let's, it, let's it, take a specific aspect, like your the, the downstairs part, the basement part, where your studio is. 
And, and again, listeners, if they want to see what I'm talking about, can look on your website, the Bar Prince website, and, and see this. So how, how, does, how do these requirements and limitations and your desires fit into the, how you created your studio? The studio space was uh, located where it is on the property because I wanted it to be the, one of the largest spaces and I set it down into the ground, so I put it, the, the site's kind of a wedge shape. It's not a rectangle. It's wider at the street than it is at the back. And so the, the plus the studio is more an area where, you know, there's, it's less private in a sense. So I put the studio up acting as kind of a buffer between the street and the rest of the building, set it down into the ground, dug it down into the ground to help berm up the earth around it to give it a little more sense of privacy and uh, buffer the noise from the street. And so in terms of an idea, before I had even decided exactly on shapes, I was zoning that property in my mind, and I was thinking of the studio. It made sense to be up there. That was the bigger part of the site. The more private personal living room is back toward the back part of the site in an area where I didn't need as much space. Every aspect of the building grew from the internal requirements. The oblong part that's up above contains private living spaces, bedrooms, and and areas that are are sort of the dead-end spaces. You don't want people walking through them. So they're the spaces where you, uh, when you get there, that's the, the, the end of the, you know, the line. So I wanted those to be the most private. And I like the idea of lifting them up above everything for more sense of privacy. That's something you generally like to do, it seems to me. Well, I mean, it depends on the individual site and situation. But here I was, I was really trying to create a definite zone of privacy up there. I don't like drapes and curtains and things, so the idea that I could have uh, areas where I could look out and yet still not be seen because I'm up above everything. I could see out across the city. I can see the mountains, you know, in one direction and out over the rest of the buildings in the other direction. And so that becomes one zone of privacy where there's really no reason for people to ever have to go up there. I mean, that's my own private space. Down just below that is mostly an exterior space, kind of an exterior covered terrace area. So it also allowed the building to be transparent and and uh, completely open at that level, at least in the center part of it, which uh, I like that idea of letting the light come through it, let the sun come through it, not have the building be such a solid object. So it grows. It's hard to explain this process. I, I've said before when asked about this, it's a lot easier to do it than it is to explain it. <laughs> well, if you've just tuned in, this is New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. My name is Steven Spitz, and we're sitting with uh, architect Bart Prince, and we were, we've just been talking about his office residence, which he, I guess, hand-built. And when I mean hand-built, I mean he was the plumber, he was the electrician <laughs> in 1983. And one thing about that uh, residence I think you'd have to concede, Bart, is that it's very different from the houses around it? Well, yeah, I was building a house for myself, and so my idea of responding to a a certain neighborhood situation is not literal. I don't want to make 
another one of what's already there, but I, I, I'm more inclined to uh, look at the scale of things there. And, mm -hmm. and uh, for example, on that site, the scale was very much being determined by the, the broad street and the intersection and the, and the height of the trees around it. And the buildings around it were not um, architecturally particularly significant. It, it, it would be different if you were building next to something that was some kind of an architectural masterpiece, although even then you wouldn't want to imitate that, but maybe the way you related to it would be taken into account. Uh, my concern in, in this case was the house right next door to me to the north, even though I didn't even know those people at that time, but I felt like uh, I wanted to respect their sense of privacy and and I'll pull my building away so that the <coughs> sun could get in into their uh, yard and you know they'd have the light and the openness they were used to and so very general kinds of things at that stage that you're thinking about but not I wasn't concerned about trying to make it look like everything else that was already there. Well, you don't seem to be a devotee of the what you might call the Santa Fe style or the meme style where no that, the po and, and, and what? <laughs> well, there's really no such thing as either one of those things. That was all made-up sort of stuff. You know, uh, it was concocted and sort of foisted onto us. Um, by I, meme, you're saying? Well, all of that, Santa Fe style, all that stuff is, is uh, um, terminology given to something that really didn't exist naturally. It's something that came about. It was kind of forced onto buildings even originally, you know, when, when they decided that uh, the Santa Fe uh, buildings, somebody determined it at some point that they ought to have some kind of a uh, unified appearance to appeal to tourists, and it was decided that they would take something like the Taos Pueblo or some of the indigenous buildings and uh, plaster these over and try and make them look like those which, of course, makes no sense at all in terms of how we live. Those were great buildings, you know, when they were... I you're mean, you're saying the Taos Pueblo the, the Taos Pueblo and the indigenous buildings were really true works of architecture because they were responding to the conditions at the time and, and the needs of those people. But it made no sense at all for us to make our buildings look like their buildings. Well, why not? Well, because we, we don't live like they do. We have, we have, there's nothing about us that's anything like uh, them in that sense. And so we were um, putting on someone else's clothing, essentially. And, uh, you know, so all that f for me was, was false. It was not expressing our time and our lives. It was, it was just... Uh, you know, taking on something for effect. I suppose the idea of it is that it somehow resists modernity. It it point it harkens back to this earlier time, whereas your architecture is embracing modernity. It's, well, it's 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 trying to be responsive to life and to you know our own our own time and situation, which means that uh, essentially architecture is um, a record of the history of all peoples, I mean, real architecture. So if you're looking at, at uh, 
bandolier or if you're looking at uh, uh, the Taos Pueblo or if you're looking at uh, buildings, uh, pyramids in Egypt, any period of time, you've got a record of, of the time and of the people and how they lived. And as some, for some reasons, we started to get into, uh, you know, the last hundred years or more, it quit being that so much as, as uh, instead of us actually creating buildings for our own needs and requirements, we would build something that would house those things, but then we would clothe them with all these ridiculous quotations from history. It didn't make any sense at all. So as a kid growing up in Santa Fe, going to kindergarten up there, I mean, I can remember even then thinking, you know, this, why do these buildings, I mean, for me, it was kind of creepy and dark. It was like we weren't living in our own time. And, you know, at that age, you don't really know why you're thinking something like that. But I definitely remember feeling that way that, you know, surely we ought to be able to <laughs> bring light into our buildings and have them feel a lot more uh, connected with our own lives. But but so much of American architecture really relies on architecture from other places. Yeah, you know? it does. It isn't American architecture. It's, it's just, uh, you know, we seem to have uh, uh, taken for architecture what, washed up on the shores from Britain, you know, when we got here. And I mean, that's natural. That's understandable. When people come from another area and they settle in a new place, I mean, what they really should be doing is is responding to that area in a way that that they're making buildings that make sense there. A building in the, in the desert is different than a building in the mountains or on the plains. But instead, they came and continued building what they were used to, which, as I said, to some extent is understandable. They're, you know, they know what they think a house is, for example, and they're going to try and build. It didn't work too well. I mean, they learned over time that, you know, that didn't make sense. You needed to build using the kinds of materials that were available. But for the most part, we've, we've uh, quoted the past. So, you know, it's these uh, Spanish mission burgers in San Diego and the... <laughs> I like you, your phrase, the meme burger, which <laughs> is it plops out another meme-like no, house. It's always going to come down to sort of subjective uh, idea, I suppose, as to what how you respond to these things. But I think architecture ought to be something that is expressive of our time and our situation and our capabilities in terms of materials and and uh, as it should be in any with any civilization. Well, if you've just tuned in, this is New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas. My name is Stephen Spitz, and I'm sitting with architect Bart Prince, and we're talking about uh, New Mexico architecture and his particular architecture. We've talked about his office residence, the so-called spaceship, and there's another building, there's another residence that's very visible in Albuquerque, the, the Brad and June uh, Prince house that you built for your father mm -hmm. uh, and his wife. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see it very easily. It's in the western Sandia Mountains. It looks out over the city. Uh, I, could you describe it a little bit for our listeners, you think? Well, it's built up on the uh, lower slopes of the mountains up in Sandia Heights and, and uh, on a 
rocky site as you have up there. And, and of course, the idea, what they wanted was to take advantage of the views from up there. So uh, again, that's something that was designed with their needs in mind and you know, give them a place where they could uh, entertain and, and have their children and grandchildren visit and that kind of thing. It's got these incredible plate glass windows that are what that are curved that look out. I guess look out. Do they look both toward the Sandias and toward the? Sandias? Yeah, you can look both directions. I mean, uh -huh. the, the views essentially are 360 degrees up there. I see. But w with that one, the um, essentially what I did was to kind of take the structure outside of the building altogether to allow for a lot of changes of level inside there and and to open up the views so that uh, instead of having a lot of structure in the way where you wanted to be looking out, you could have glass. And so you see these, uh, I think my dad calls it Indian feather, you know, the, these curving segmental beams actually that are above the structure. Mm -hmm. that the They're roof, very distinctive. Yeah, the roofs are hanging from those. I see. So and, they're structural. Yeah, you know, they're the structure and then the, the roofs are supported. They're uh, suspended from suspended that. Suspended from that. I see. And that way it uh, didn't require additional structure from there down. We could leave it open and, and have glass on the one side and on the other side you've got a series of levels that overlook each other. Uh, my dad's wife June had said early on that uh, all the when we were first talking about this, she said all her parties ended up in the kitchen, in the house where they were living at the time, and may as well just face that. And instead of trying to just keep making the kitchen bigger and bigger, essentially make the kitchen the part of the whole entertainment space, but you know let it be a separate area, but have various levels around it. You know where. The people working in the kitchen don't feel like they're separated off from everybody else. But again, the shape and form, again, of this house is so dramatically different than anything you see in Albuquerque. Um, and, and I guess people will say, well, is Bart Prince just being different to be different? <laughs> is he trying to be deliberately provocative? Is, is that what he's trying to do? I wouldn't, I've never thought of it that way. I've never done anything just to be different or to try and get attention. In fact, if anything, I'm always surprised because I get sort of wound up in the design of things and thinking about solving the problem that I'm convinced that this makes so much sense that, you know, why would anybody question it? And then when you start getting under construction and, you know, people start coming by and, the, you know, TV and newspapers and people start paying attention to it, it brings me back to realizing that, you know, that it's a lot more different uh, than, than I'm thinking it is because all I'm trying to do is solve that particular problem. And so I'm thinking of it from that standpoint, not so much in terms of the effect it's going to have, you know, or the kind of response you're going to get from other people. You know, I know you were a friend of, of Georgia O'Keeffe's, and I wonder if you ever discussed with her sort of the misimpressions that people have of your works. Both, well, we did. I mean, we talked uh, not only... Uh, from the standpoint of my work, she was inter interested in architecture, and she, you know, she came from Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, and and that's very short distance from uh, Spring Green, where Wright's home, uh, well, M Madison, where Wright lived as a kid, and and Spring Green, where he eventually built just outside of there, 
and she knew him and had her stories about Wright and staying in Wright Building. She told me about staying in the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo and uh, also told me that the only painting that she'd ever given to anybody was one that she gave to Frank Lloyd Wright. She said her Stieglitz, her husband, was very upset and <laughs> wondered, if, wondered about getting he, it back. He, he seemed to have his eye on the donut. <laughs> well, I don't <laughs> know. But we talked about, I mean, essentially the problems involved in creative work, whether you're painting or writing music or, or designing buildings, they're, they're essentially the same. I mean, the, the idea of doing creative work that's, uh, that has to do with your time is you know it's the kind of thing that uh, she was doing and she was facing criticism and people were very surprised at the kinds of things she was doing and wondered why she was trying to get attention you know with these giant flowers for example as she told me again just so supposedly deliberately provocative deliberately sexual well that's what she would say that's what they see that's mm-hmm. not what she was thinking but mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course with me you know, somebody looks at a building of mine and they think they think it's a snail or a, a spaceship or something else. How much do your clients, I mean, you talk about your clients' requirements and their desires, the limitations of the property, et cetera, et cetera, but how much do your clients have to do with the actual shape and form of what you design? Well, they don't. Uh, the, the, the work I'm doing... Uh, uh, takes the information that I'm getting for the, from them in terms of their requirements and how they live and, and uh, these other things we talked about that have to do with the site. But then uh, I don't, we don't talk about shapes and forms and things like that. That comes out of the process. And so when, They must be surprised. Well, they're always surprised. <laughs> I mean, usually, of course, by this time, that's one of the reasons they're coming to me because mm. they— of course, in some cases, they come and they say, I want one of those, and they'll point to another. But they don't see sketches? You, you say, this is what I want to do. Well, eventually I'll show them, right. but I don't I – don't, uh, You don't counsel I don't go them. through a whole process with them all along. I mean, we meet early on, and you know, I always like to go out to the site with them and, because I'd like to know what, what it is about the site they liked, what was it that attracted them to that property. We talk about the things that they see as being – a problem if there's anything or or features they particularly like but then uh, I might have some questions during the time I'm designing where I might call them or, or contact them and ask them some specific thing that didn't come up you know about you know how they live or something they might like or or not particularly like in terms of materials but eventually um, I don't lead them along and let them see bits and pieces as it goes. Eventually, I show them a design uh, when it's ready to show them. And, and essentially, I'm saying, here's what has come out of this process. Well, I guess what would really fascinate listeners, and maybe there's just no way to s- describe it, is how these things evolve in your mind. Because, you know, I, I looked at, for example, the Glorietta the house near Glorieta, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. That, to me, I mean, I can see in that house uh, your prior work, but but it's also so different. It's not curvilinear at all. Mm-hmm. It's it's much more angular, much more aerodynamic. And so I'm thinking, now what is now? So what's making 
Bart Prince come up with this design for <laughs> this property? There's some similarities, but there, there, there are a lot of differences. Well, the similarities usually, I've had people tell me that they, that they knew a certain building was designed by me, not because it looked like any other of the things I've done, but mostly because it didn't look like anything else they'd seen, and they immediately said, oh, that must be something of mine. I mean, with any building, you've got geometry and you've got uh, certain aspects of design that are, are utilized. So you might see a curve in one building and a curve in another building, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a geometry we're talking about there. Uh, the design itself and, and the way that's used is usually going to be quite different from one to the next. Um, the, the Glorietta project, again, it was, I, I keep using this word response because that's really what it is. I'm responding to the situation, to what I see on the site and to the personality of the client and the kinds of uh, problems that are involved with a particular site. And I don't know what's going to come out either. I mean, I can't wait when I meet a new client and I see a new site. I can't wait myself to see what's going to come out well, of I've this. Heard, I've heard <laughs> that you hold off sketching and, and, and mm -hmm. you try to keep your mind open to, to, to the as late as you can. To Well, you know, there, there's the best computer that we all have is our own head. I mean, there's nothing that works better than our brain in, in, the, in the sense of, uh, you know, being able to take information and synthesize it. And, and so the longer you can let that design uh, kind of develop in your head and really consider it from all angles and think about it and sort of walk through it in your mind, the longer it's in that form, you haven't really uh, committed yourself to anything it's very easy to let it stay fluid. As soon as you start sketching, as soon as you start putting something on paper, which, against, of course, you have to do eventually because you've got to put it into a form where somebody else can see it and build it. But the longer you can leave it in that uh, form where it's completely uh, free of gravity and free of material <laughs> connections and and structure and all the things that we finally have to deal with when we build something, you're really able to um, let it gel and become what it wants to become. You know, you, you're, you're in your 60s, and we're really near the end of the show, and you've been such an iconoclast, such an individual. And I'm wondering, you know, as you look back now, you know, what have been the highs and lows of your <laughs> architectural life in, 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 in really, you know, sticking to this path that, that you believe in? Well, it's, it's, it's all been, you know, we, we kind of live in, as Gertrude Stein called it, the continuous present. You know, you, you, I don't see any point in living in the, in the past. We can't really live in the future. It's not here yet, but we're constant, we're continuously in the present. We have control over what's here right now. And so essentially, I mean, that's what I've done. I've tried to make the most of, of each situation that's come up and, and do something that uh, I thought, you know, was as, as uh, well done and as significant as I could do with, with, with each individual problem. And as, as I say to students, you know, a lot of times, I, I knew an architect one time who was complaining that all he had to do was a little 
addition to a building and he wish he had more chances and the next time I saw him oh I've only got this little house to do and the next time oh it's, no I've got nothing but this office building so and each time he was looking at it that way whereas really he was the one that was treating it that way each one of those things was a great opportunity if he turned it into that so if you look at if you look at it as you know you're constantly waiting for that big opportunity it's never going to come well, uh, Bart, we're going to have to leave it there. I'd like to thank you so much for, for coming in and joining me in our conversation today. Thanks also to my engineer today, Roman Garcia, my producer, John Bergun. The executive producer of this show is Tristan Klum. My name's Stephen Spitz, and you've been listening to New Mexico People, Places, and Ideas on KUNM. Podcasts of this and other local shows are available at KUNM.org.